Knowing code is becoming excuse me, table stakes for a career in the telecommunications industry. Join us this week as we visit with the industry-leading code school for insights on how to learn to code. Nexius, accelerating network and business transformation. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. Telecomcareers.com. For another episode of Inside Telecom Careers, I'm your host, Carla Macias. Also joining me today is RCR Wireless Editorial Director, Jeff Mucci, Iron Yard Campus Director, Travis Swyscott, and Coder's host, Victor Agreta. Welcome everyone. Thanks Thank for joining us. Yeah. Before we kick things off, Jeff, what's new in the telecom workforce related news? Well, there were over 100,000 job cuts last month, which is the highest reported job cut in any given month since 2011. But we're not going to belabor job cuts this week. We've talked about it in weeks past. We're not going to talk about the union. We're going to jump right in and talk about the importance of coding. And we're delighted to have Iron Yard here as our guest. Travis, I checked out your website and I have to ask, what is the difference between front and back-end engineering? So back-end coding tends to be the things that deal directly with databases. Um, that's the, the stuff that's happening on servers. Uh, front-end code tends to be more browser-related, so more the, the things you're interacting with. Uh, so if to put it in the terms of something like Gmail, uh, Gmail has a whole bunch of servers that are working on the back-end to handle actually processing code uh, the, or processing your email. Uh, and then on the front end, you're interacting with an interface that has uh, all of the shortcuts and things like that that you use, the buttons you click, things like that. Uh, so in a nutshell, that's the difference between back end and front end. Okay. And what software development trends have you seen over the past decades and compared to today? Uh, the past decade, uh, the rise of JavaScript. Uh, <laughs> we thought it was going to die uh, a slow death uh, as it came out in the 90s. Uh, it was just one of those kind of glue languages that showed up out of necessity. Uh, and then people started making it better, and then we realized that's oh, not that bad of a language. Um, and uh, over the last five years or so, with the rise of Node.js, so server-side JavaScript, we've pulled JavaScript out of the browser and put it on the server so we can handle some of the same jobs that you'd normally rely on, something like Java or PHP or Python or Ruby. And Jeff, what languages are you being used by carriers, vendors, IoT, and over-the-top players? Well, I'm happy to talk about the, the telecom industry and some of the trends there, but I'd like to get Victor involved. And, you know, Victor, what are some of the trends that you're seeing from the, from the mobile side and the Apple side? What impact has it had on the development world? You know, oddly enough, we had this discussion a while back on coders, and, and uh, I have to agree with Travis that JavaScript has been sort of an interesting uh, thing to see it explode like that. We recommend that people start with JavaScript if they want to learn, and then if you start with that, now what you're seeing are mobile developers giving some really powerful frameworks for people to do things that they couldn't do before. Apple's use of what's called Metal, which is allows game developers to go almost directly to the chip level uh, and increases performance that way. And so they're, they're squeezing out a lot of performance from devices, partly because battery life is sort of a fixed constant right now. It's a tough thing to work around, um, but also languages like Swift, there's an evolution, I think, of languages right now, and, and JavaScript is a great example of that. Yeah. So, so going back to your question, Carla, what's going on in, in telecom? Um, 
you know, historically C, C++ were the, the, some of the primary languages used uh, in the runtime systems used in the communications industry. Uh, with the rise of the internet in the late 90s and 2000s, you know, Java, PHP, you know, back in the day, Cold Fusion was a, a back-end type platform that uh, was very popular. Um, another interesting, I guess, uh, language is Erlang. Mm -hmm. which is a, a, an open source code that really Ericsson controls, but uh, Erlang has been used in a lot of the communication platforms like WhatsApp and FaceTime um, uh, because it's a telco standard that scales very well. Uh, and I think uh, you were talking, we and I were talking earlier, Travis, about um, Iron Yard even thinking about bringing Erlang course back. Um, so I wanna hear a little bit, I'm curious why you guys are thinking about bringing it back. So we have a couple of instructors right now who are uh, dying to, to teach an Elixir class, which is sort of the next evolution of Erlang. Uh, it's taking the same principles that the uh, Erlang was built on around scalability and fault tolerance and putting a modern language on it. Uh, I have, one of my instructors here in Austin has actually volunteered to do that. Um, and I know that he would have to fight a couple of other uh, instructors at other campuses if we start offering that course. That's great. Um, as an interesting connection to Austin, uh, Austin actually hosted the first ElixirConf last summer, and the second one is slated for this, I believe, October. So. Uh, I guess one of my, you know, over the last 10 years, actually 15, uh, with the rise of the internet, you know, the internet really didn't go, get going until 2000, 2001, when you started to have DSL available, you know, we got away from dial-up and ISDN and you really went to real internet where you had DSL servers or cable mo modems and uh, the rise of the internet where you could actually surf the web and see images and download videos and that sort of thing. And that's when you did see, you've seen some of these new languages that we're gonna talk about, the Ruby on Rail, um, um, Python, and, and languages like Elixir that I, I'm not even up on. So um, um, we do have a couple videos from some telecom experts that I'd like to show. The first one, is an interview we did with Jason Hoffman, who is head of telco strategy for Ericsson. And he really talks about the rise of the software developer. But guys, let's go ahead and roll this first clip on Jason Hoffman. So I think, you know, whether it be, uh, you know, things like PHP developers to, to Ruby on Rails to Node.js to people still doing things in Java or C or C++ or Go or, or someone like that, that, that's a platform that supports all of those, those runtimes and those, those environments. Um, and, um, you know, at least in the case of, uh, you know, Ruby on Rails and Node.js, I mean, I was around those communities. My old company did Node.js and, and, uh, and uh, we hosted Ruby on Rails.org and all of that stuff back in the day. And, um, and I think, you know, part of, part of it is, is, you know, the, the thing that's happened over the last 10 years really is the rise of the developer. I mean, if you think of what the global phenomena is, uh, it really is that um, um, a lot of a lot of the legacy applications are being rewritten in new frameworks and new runtimes and new languages and so on, so on like that. Um, we even see that you know all of a sudden a language like Erlang became exceptionally popular in sort of the web scale world. I mean, it's Facebook chat and WhatsApp and all those things are are written in a, a telecom language. So I thought that interview was fascinating. Jason is known as a hyperscale guru. He built a sizable company in the Valley and sold it. 
And uh, I think it surprised a lot of people when we work for Ericsson. But when you think about what Ericsson's doing, you know, they're building some of the world's largest clouds for carriers. And the carriers, in turn, are using those clouds to roll out IoT for industrial IoT or even the whole wearables um, uh, types of things we're seeing today. This next clip I'd like to show is uh, Richard Swartz, who lives here in Austin. He was the founder of a company called Machine, which really focused on the API layer, so northbound and southbound APIs to really open up some of the carrier networks. His company was purchased by Good Technologies, uh, which is best known for uh, bring your own device, uh, machine uh, mobile device management software. Um, but I think he, he paints a bigger picture about the importance of code. So let's take a, a look at this clip. And you were talking about the different layers of being in software development from yeah. architecture to code. Kind of give us a framework for discussion today. Yeah, so, so the article focused um, um, very much on the, the concept of coding or physically writing lines of code which is part of it, but the larger piece of it is how do you know what to write for code? How do you know what design to use? How do you know what architecture should go behind it? Mm -hmm. And those are really the, the larger frameworks behind coding a software application. Right. All of those levels are important, and the skills are quite different as well. How dire is the need for software developers and, and coders today? Yeah, so we're making a, a transition, uh, first of all, from software development as uh, writing a mobile phone app or writing a network app to computing or some kind of smart uh, software mm -hmm. embedded in almost everything. So in many ways... Although including chips, by the way. Yeah. Th that's correct, in including chips and smart devices and everything else. Mm -hmm. So software and building that intelligence in is ubiquitous. It's basically transforming everything to be digital, everything to be online, and everything to be connected. So it is fundamental. That doesn't mean everyone can do it or everyone should do it, but certainly the backdrop is... is. So Travis and Victor, this question's for you guys. Um, how do you know what to code? And uh, talk a little bit about the design and architecture when you're looking to code. And, it, and then the follow-on question we're gonna talk about is, if you don't know how to code, why is it important to have friends that know how to code? Okay. Victor, go for it. Uh, well, right now, we've got an explosion of languages, I believe. I, you know, Because of mobile and because of networks opening up their APIs and uh, there's so much movement and expansion right now, what we're seeing is just this plethora of languages. And I think that really in asking what, how do you know what to code or, you know, where do you start and whatnot? Really the idea is where do you want to go? You know, if you, if you want to work at the network layer, if you want to work on front facing mobile applications, the, that's the key is narrowing your focus first and then looking at those things that are really important. I was speaking to someone a few days ago about creating an application on mobile and they were saying, well, you know, we thought about going with iOS and, and actually what they did was they went with iOS first and then they were gonna roll out Android and then they start thinking maybe we should use mono. You know, maybe we should use something that's actually gonna allow us to code once and with a few tweaks actually deploy on multiple platforms. So that really is the key is sort of what's your target platform and look at the field in that area and then narrow it down from there. 
Yeah, one of the things we have on the application for anybody who applies at the Iron Yard is to tell us something that you, you want to code. Why do you want to do this? Um, and we encourage them to dream big, something that you know is going to be a stretch for you. And that's the most imp one of the, the key questions that I look at when I'm reviewing applications. The, uh, you want to code what you know is the easiest way to, to understand what to code. Uh, at what layer technically to code, that sort of becomes a, a, an implementation detail. Trying to figure out what it is you want to create can be one of the hardest things, especially when you're just starting out. Uh, if somebody knows they want to learn how to program, but they don't have anything that they, they want to automate uh, or uh, create an application around, it's a lot harder for them to grasp concepts. It's easier to take something and apply it in the context of, I want to be able to do this. Um, it's one of the same reasons when you learn to speak a spoken language, uh, you don't start with uh, the, the grammar of the language. You start with, how do you say good morning? How do you say good night? Uh, simple things like that. Exactly. The things that are important. <laughs> <laughs> Very important, yeah. <laughs> and, and one of your friends I wrote an article or shared an article with you about mm -hmm. the importance of having friends and how to code. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, uh, I, if I recall correctly, and this, this article is a few years old, it was the, the rise of the developer economy. Um, he was talking about how everything is being automated. Uh, companies are being eaten up, entire industries are being eaten up by code. Uh, a company like UPS, their entire uh, world is about shipping physical packages from one point to the other. Uh, but software is the thing that enables them to do that at the scale that they do. Uh, if you would have talked about uh, to bookstores 20 years ago about needing coders, they would have been, well, why? People come in, they pick a book off the shelf, they buy it. If we don't have it on the shelf, we order it, and it shows up in two weeks. Um, Amazon completely demolished that industry. Uh, so. Uh, Having people that know how to automate uh, the processes in your business that are automatable uh, can be a big, a big bonus to staying relevant. And Victor, you know, uh, if, if you don't come from the coding community, maybe you could share, how do you get plugged in so you don't feel completely ostracized from this rise of developer community? Well, I can tell you that for, from where I sit, it's uh, it's really fascinating to see that there are tons and tons of developer networks out there. And by and large, a lot of these groups are very amenable to new people coming in and networking. There's almost everywhere now you can find local events that are in, in your area of interest. And so I really encourage people to just go to these networking events and, and meet actual people in, in, you know, in the real world. <laughs> yeah. Victor, what are some of the software training trends that you are seeing, especially when they relate to mobile and telecom? Well, it's uh, because we have this plethora of languages out there and because it can kind of be confusing, one of the things that I'm seeing is individualization and people being able to sort of customize their, their curriculum or at least customize their learning experience. And like Travis was talking about, you know, what do you want to build? And, and then customizing your experience around that. And then the other side of that is the fact that there, I think there was like $130 billion that uh, companies are spending on training courses uh, last year. And so there's a lot of money at stake. And what we're seeing is that people don't want to just send people off to a conference and have them come back with keychains. They actually want measurable results. And so that's, that's a big aspect of this is that what is our return on this investment? Uh, Jeff, what are the what role will software development and code play in the future of telecommunications and the mobile internet? Uh, as as Travis mentioned, code literally, and it has taken over the telecom industry. And it, it, if you think about um, the wireline telecommunications industry, 
the, the kind of building blocks are you've got network management software. You got to manage the network. You got network element management. You got to track every port and every switch and every line and every copper wire and every piece of fiber that's in that network. Uh, so, and then you've got a real-time analytics that's coming out of that network. And uh, with the rise of LTE and, and mobile devices, the location and geography, session. So at the you know network layer and session layer, it's it's all software. Uh, a lot of people that aren't from the telecom industry don't really think about the subscriber database or the uh, customer relationship management and how it integrates with the call center or the web experience. So to put things in perspective, you take a Verizon or AT&T that has a hundred million plus customers. A lot of people don't know that a lot of those um, uh, uh, customers came from previous acquisitions. And so with those acquisitions, you had individual subscriber management systems and customer relationship management systems. And those have had to be integrated over the years, particularly on the wireline side. And now you've got the mobile industry. And so you've got whole different experience with, you gotta track all the IMEI numbers on a cell phone. And uh, the, the IP addresses that exist with all the, the things in the world of uh, Internet of Things. Um, recently you've got into the policy and policy charging software so that when you're on your phone and you click a FaceTime or you click on Netflix or Hulu the carrier has to know exactly what you're doing at that moment and look up your subscriber database look up your billing record and say is he authorized to see this or is he and in the future is he going to be in a tier one lane or a tier two lane uh, and or is it going to be charged on a per gigabit basis so all those things are happening in real time, and, and again, it's very complex, um, So, but it's all code. Um, the big trends that we see here at RCR Wireless News are things like network function virtualization, um, software-defined networks, software-optimized networks, which means these, these mobile networks are organic, and the, the bandwidth is going to be able to move where the people move, and you're going to be able to allocate radio access network um, capacity based upon where that movement is. And then you think about the Internet of Things, where everything's connected. Uh, it's it's all software, and so we're again come back to why we have a show, a coder show with with Victor, and why we've got uh, Travis here today is to really start educating people about where you can learn to code and uh, um, how you can start networking. Because even if you're a manager, not directly responsible for coding, it's going to be important for you to have knowledge of coding. So you don't walk, you know, you're never going to be CEO if you can't spell uh, PHP. Right in the future, yeah. in Java, what is Java, and how is it really going to help transform your company? I think one of the great articles I saw a couple of weeks ago was uh, an article in Wall Street Journal about Bosch, and the CEO is talking about Bosch being a digital company. So here's an industrial conglomerate that's saying we are going to be a digital company because of industrial IoT, everything being connected. This is truly transformational. John Deere, Caterpillar. You know, the elevators you ride in, the monitors you look at, the, everything in your house, it's all software. And so um, it is, it's, it's eating the world, right? I think yeah. uh, when I was growing up, there's a great show called The Blob. Remember The Blob? Mm -hmm. In some ways, you know, the code is out of the bottle and it, it truly is consuming the industry. And uh, to bring things back to telecom, since we are talking about inside telecom careers, I do have another uh, clip I'd like to show you that um, is uh, about a carrier talking about the transforming a billing system. So let's run this other clip. And I, I want to make sure you guys have all the sharp objects away from you um, because we're going to talk about something that is so boring. There's a risk you could pass out and hurt yourself. And so the three words that really 
put fear in the hearts of people in Silicon Valley are telco billing software. Tediously boring. Uh, and so I hope we've not lost anybody right now. But I think there's a reason why we think it's pretty interesting. Uh, and in particular, I think the reason why you should listen this morning is I fundamentally believe in the next five years, every telco in the room will replace their core heart and lung. You know, guys, I love that clip because here you have a guy from Telstra Ventures who has made an investment in a telecom billing company. And his opening statement is, guys, put sharp objects away because you may fall asleep and poke your eye out, okay? Because telecom billing systems is a horribly boring topic, but it is absolutely foundational and fundamental to our whole experience on our mobile phones, and people just take it for granted. So I, I love that clip. That's a good one. Now, I think this is a good time to get into Iron Yard. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about the background behind Iron Yard and also your role, and what are some of your responsibilities over there? So uh, the Iron Yard was born out of a, a need of developers. Uh, originally, it came out of an incubator in Greenville, South Carolina, uh, called The Next Big Thing, originally. And they were creating a, a startup environment in Greenville so that they weren't shipping all their ta most talented away to go somewhere else to start their companies. Uh, they realized once they started these companies that they weren't able to hire the people that they needed, so they decided to start training them. Uh, they had other incubators in the region ask for the same thing, and fast forward a few years and they realized that the, the academy portion of the, the, the incubator was more popular than the incubator at the time. So they decided to split the two off uh, at the beginning of 2014, and we now have the Iron Yard Academy and the Iron Yard Ventures. Um, I'm on the academy side here in Austin. Uh, and as campus director, my role is to be the public face of the Iron Yard here in the Austin community. Uh, it goes back to what Victor was talking about, about being a part of the community. Uh, here in Austin, we're really fortunate to have a great tech community, uh, primarily because everything is so condensed in Austin. Um, in other bigger cities where you're at, a Houston or a Dallas, they may have just as many uh, interesting people and interesting meetups and uh, uh, interesting culture around technology, but it's spread across a much larger geographic area. Right. Here it's all within uh, three to four square miles, so we're really lucky of that in Austin. What do you enjoy most about being a campus director at Iron Yard? But one of the, uh, the big things I get to do is help people that are looking to transition into a new career. So helping them understand how their previous career uh, and previous experience is applicable to becoming a developer or a designer now that they finish the course. Uh, I have people come to me with their resume, like I don't know how to talk about the last seven years of, of my life. It was all in biz dev. Uh, how do I take this and convince somebody that I should be hired as a programmer? I'm like, well, it, as somebody who's hired programmers for the last 10 years, the, uh, one of the things that I'm really looking for is somebody that understands the business side of things. And you've actually been responsible for being out there and bringing money into the company. So I'm not gonna have to take you as a junior developer straight out of college, make sure that you have the skills, technical skills that you need, and then teach you the business side. You already know the business side. So at this point, we're just having a conversation about the technical skills. And how do the programs at Iron Yard tie into the trends that you and Jeff are discussing? So all of our courses focus on uh, uh, responsive web design. So most of our, the courses we offer here in Austin are specifically around web design, whether that's uh, or development, from back-end to front-end development and actual UI design. But we do focus on uh, making the experience uh, available on mobile uh, from day one. Uh, 
uh, mobile to uh, pull a phrase you used at the beginning, uh, having a website or a web presence that's available uh, and accessible on mobile is table stakes to the game. Uh, if I go and load a website on my phone because I saw it, somebody posted on Facebook or Twitter or what have you, and it doesn't load, I'm going to immediately discount that, that uh, website, that content provider, uh, that business as somebody who's not to be taken as serious as they should be. And what are the demographics of the attendees? Um, all sorts. Uh, in the, the most recent cohort, we had uh, people closing in on 60 all the way down to our youngest was 23. At one of the other campuses, we actually had somebody that turned 18 while he was in, enrolled in the course. Uh, he had decided that the traditional college route wasn't for him. Uh, his parents were completely supportive of that. And straight out of high school, he enrolled in the Iron Yard uh, to learn how to code. And recently we saw, you know, through social media about the growing numbers of women in Cove. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things that, that we as Iron Yard try to promote, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, we do offer a diversity scholarship, so anybody that identifies with a, a minority group of any sort uh, can apply for that. Uh, that is something, uh, as an industry, uh, tech tends to be uh, very male-dominated, very white male-dominated. Uh, and uh, that's something we need to change as an industry. Uh, we can thrive as an industry with a very uh, a singular appearance, uh, but in order to be robust and be an industry that stands the test of time, we need to have the diverse uh, points of view. Absolutely. And what are the benefits of online versus in-person classes? So online is a great way to start. Um, at, in full disclaimer, uh, I had spent 16 years as a developer uh, prior to joining the Iron Yard, and I am a completely self-taught uh, developer. Uh, and a lot of what I learned was through uh, reading online. Uh, and that can be a great way to go. Uh, when I look at the students that come out of the, the three-month program at the Iron Yard, though, they're a good 18 months to two years into where I was at my career, simply because it's more focused. When you're just starting out, it's hard to know what you need to know and what you don't need to know. Uh, and where to focus and where to spend time digging into this problem that you found versus something that you can just kind of ignore and find a workaround for. Uh, actually being in a classroom uh, with instructors, with teaching assistants and so on, that gives you that, that Sherpa as you're learning how to, to uh, code. I'm definitely an in-person kind of learner, so. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> point. You know, we all learn differently. Yeah. And, um, but I think it's, uh, people may not really understand the immersive nature yeah. of your class. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? And then, Victor, maybe you could share some of your experiences uh, with online classes, you know, learning online versus the immersive program. But let's yeah. start with you, Travis. So the Iron Yard uh, program here in Austin, all we offer is the 12-week immersive program. So that's a, a full-time plus. Uh, we figure most students are going to average about 60 hours a week of work between in-class uh, instruction and homework that they need to do uh, for their assignments. Uh, I liken it to learning a language. Uh, you can learn a language uh, going to community college part-time, uh, taking a couple of classes uh, uh, every uh, week on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but uh, you're not going to become completely fluent as quickly uh, as you would just moving to another uh, another country. Now, that's a big commitment, but going to a coding school full-time is a big commitment as well. Uh, but one of the hardest parts when you're starting out as a programmer is how to think as a programmer. Uh, and that's a big focus of all of our courses, whether it's back-end development or UI design, uh, teaching you how to think about tackling the problems. And being immersed in that environment for 12 weeks, we found is, is one of the really good ways to do it. 
Uh, one of my jobs uh, as campus director is uh, the interview process for applicants as they come through. And I always describe my role in that is to scare them away because it is a big commitment and uh, a pretty stressful commitment actually. Uh, if you think about uh, moving to the south of France to learn French and you know a little bit and you can kind of hold a conversation a little bit slow, that first time you go to the grocery store to check out and you're put on the spot and have to, to think about what it is you're saying and make sure that, that you're conversing correctly, that's going to be a really stressful experience. Uh, and the same thing's going to happen when in, in your first week you're expected to turn in homework that's like, well, this is something that I couldn't do two days ago. <laughs> what, are, what are some of the things that you look um, into the applicants or the people who are applying? Yeah. Um, we're looking to see uh, what it is that brings them to this. Uh, the vast majority of people who are coming to the Iron Yard are looking to change careers. Uh, if looking to change careers and just get a good salary is your only drive, you're probably not going to do too well. Uh, being a programmer, uh, being a designer is a creative endeavor and you have to actually enjoy that process. Uh, so that's a big part of, of what I'm looking at when I, I talk to uh, prospective students is what are your drives? Why are you doing this? And then, Victor, maybe your thoughts on online versus immersive training? Yeah, well, I. Um I would agree with a lot of what Travis was talking about. I think, again, with the, the plethora of languages out there and the very specific uses for some of those, you have more resources available to you than ever. I mean, Travis probably remembers WebMonkey, and that's how I learned JavaScript, was by going to WebMonkey, but it was very self-directed. Uh, now you've got you know resources online and actually live people who are willing to help you, and so you can immerse yourself in a certain sense online as well. Um, but then you can go and you can get that, you know, that personalized experience in these intense training courses. And there's so much more to choose from now than there was. Back when I was teaching live in person, I was teaching Visual Basic 6, and then we transitioned to .NET. So that's how long ago that was. And then, uh, um, Travis, I know you, it seems like a lot of your marketing was really outreach to the general public and people who were interested in code. But are you, really, are you starting to focus or will you focus on corporations and have, having them start sending uh, people to classes or even veteran type programs to get them trained? Yeah, so actually, I believe it was about four weeks ago, six weeks ago, uh, the Iron Yard moves really quickly, so it's it, time kind of compresses and contracts in, in weird ways. Um, but we just hired a, uh, a director of corporate training. Um, so Corey has come on, and that's exactly the thing he's uh, working on figuring out, is what does it look like for us to offer corporate training? So in the vein of a continuing education, or we're adding uh, a JavaScript UI to our uh, new tool that we've had, we need the developers we have that know this tool to know the technical skills to actually be able to work on it. Today. I believe we have a clip of an example. No, nope, I oh, don't we think don't? we have oh. a clip, but I think, uh, I think we're kind of running out of time. All right. Well, um, thank you, Travis, yeah. for joining us today. Victor, thank you for your time as well. and. For more information or if you have any suggestion for places, gigs, or digs, or an interesting career in the telecommunications industry that you want to feature on Inside Telecom Careers, send me an email at kmacias at rcrwireless.com. And to check out more RCR TV, head on over to our website, rcrwireless.com. Thank you, everyone, for joining us, and we'll see you next Thursday. Inside Telecom Careers is a production of RCR-TV News. 
To reach Jeff Mucci or to suggest a show topic for Inside Telecom Careers, you can reach him at jmucci at rcrwireless.com. For all telecom-related news and information, please visit rcrwireless.com. To connect with the industry's top talent, please visit telecomcareers.net.